Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based, non-profit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow here in Calgary. Check them out, sportcalgary.ca. Welcome back. How are you? Are you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm well. Thanks for asking. Uh, it's good to see you again. Glad you could make some time for us. Glad you got uh, a little interest in what's going on because this one's a cool one today. Uh, if you like, if you like some history, if you like some Calgary history and some uh, sports history in Calgary, then you're really going to enjoy this, especially if you're a football fan. Oh boy, have we got a couple? Maybe the single best sports story. In, in Calgary sports history. I, I might be biased, but I think at the end of this, you will hear the best sports story in the history of Calgary. Um, that, and it led to a championship, by the way. Led to a championship. That's, that's why it is so good. Uh, welcome. I am your host, Rob Kerr. You know who you are. This is the original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Sport Calgary. Um, we do it three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Glad you can join us. Uh, today, full disclosure, it's just me going through my Rolodex again. Uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, he has been out of the spotlight, perhaps, uh, for the last 15 years or so. Um, but when he was in the spotlight, it, it, it shone bright there for a bit. Um, Ron Rook. Ron Rook. You may know his father, Doug, who was a legend in sports in Calgary and a former sportman of the, sportsman of the year for the, uh, uh, for the Booster Club. Um, did so much for minor football in the city. And then his son, Ron, uh, went on to work both as an off-ice official for the Flames, which man, I probably wouldn't have known him. A little bit with the Calgary Cannon. You might have run into him. But certainly his, his impact was really felt with the Calgary Stampeders for many years. Uh, their media relations, communications manager, so many things. He was really the right-hand man for Wally and for Stan Schwartz. Uh, briefly at the end of his football tenure uh, with the Stampeders, he was president of the club under the uh, wacky, crazy Michael Federick, Fred Fateri era. Uh, but Rob, will you talk? Oh yeah, we'll we'll bring that up. No, we will certainly be talking about that. One of the uh, one of the weirdest, craziest. Um, times in Calgary sports history, but Ron's going to shed a little light on it, give you a little background, which I think is is kind of interesting. Before we get to Ron, Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available on the website, sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Ron Rook, longtime member of the front office of the Calgary Stampeders, kind enough to spend some time with us today. I I will uh, I will let you know that I have hit record. So okay. um, we there's no formal introduction. I mean I've done the formal introduction. So now you and I are just going to go forth and talk. Um, okay. I feel a little bit ridiculous two months in going. Hey pal, how are you hanging in there? Uh, I thought that was a really good question for the first month. Now I, I'm not sure what the question is, but I, I will ask you um, what. What's life like? How are you? How have you adapt? Are you okay with the the current situation? Yeah, I mean, professionally, it's been a challenge. Obviously, the business you know I work in is sales, and of course, uh, a lot of my clients were non-essential, and so they have either paused or they have canceled. Uh, it's been a really good week. Got four new sales this week, so I think what happened. Last Thursday, with Premier Kenny's announcement of a, a relaunch, it created a different positive vibe out there. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm used to working at home, uh, so it's it's been okay. How about you? 
Well, I, first of all, this has been a godsend. Um, the ability to go back and talk to my friends and, and tell stories I love. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm tapping out. I, I'm good. Like, I, I've seen enough. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me you, too. You, you know, I, it's funny, and you, and you will relate to this. Um, there is no equivalent. I wouldn't suggest there's an equivalent uh, for our generation anyway. Um, but I do lean back to two NHL lockouts, which I, I suppose you could look at as, as self-inflicted, if you will. Um, this is not that, but uh, it, there's elements of it. It's like, you know, and maybe that's kind of what it is, is because I went through those two. It's like, okay, I'm done. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But that's not this. That, that, that There's no, you know, you know what I mean? There's no secret meeting between Gary Bettman and Bob Goodnow that's going to solve this sort of thing. No, no, not at all. No, not not at all. Do you, you? I mean, what does it resonate at all with you? I mean, you've seen a lot in your time in sport. Um, you know, you've seen the good times, but you've seen the bad times too. Um, there is no equivalent to this. But is there anything you draw on? Rob, are you calling me old? I'm calling you vintage. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, okay. You, you and I are okay. the same vintage, Ron. <laughs> well, you know, I guess. The only thing I could maybe compare it to uh, was in 1995 when uh, the Calgary Stampeders were owned by Rickman Financial and Rickman Financial declared bankruptcy. So at that time, the Stampeders obviously declared bankruptcy. Uh, The entire staff was let go. Uh, The CFL came on board to pay the coaches because this, if I might have been March and uh, we had to keep the coaches on board. They asked then president Stan Schwartz and myself to stay on as volunteers. They thought it would be maybe two weeks and they would find a buyer. Uh, But it was close to two and a half months before they found a buyer, that being Mr. Siguche who came in and saved the team. And we were able to start business again. But even despite just Stan and I there, we were still able to sell season tickets. We knew somehow, some way, there was going to be a season. Uh, you know, and that's why this is this is so different. Who none of us know. None yeah. of us have been through this. How are they going to? I've I've been in correspondence a lot with a, a friend of mine, George Cortez, who is back with the Stampeders coaching. And, uh, you know, they sent George back to Houston, I think, May, uh, March 16th. And, you know, it's now it's coming up. It's, it's all the questions. Well, if any sport is to have a training camp, if the CFL was to have a training camp, there's 60 to 80 players coming to Calgary from North America. Do they quarantine them for 14 days? Where do they quarantine them? I mean, obviously, you know, during training camp, yep. they usually stay at at a hotel across McMahon or at the USC in their residence. So you get them here for 14 days. It's a pretty large gathering. What happens if one player gets sick? So, you know, it's no Rob, never been through this. But you do raise a couple of interesting points. And and again, I'm just going to go out on a limb here that you probably have been following what has been going on between, you know, the league conversations and the government. And, and it, it must bring back a little bit of the memories of, of those trials and tribulations of the CFL from the late 80s and the early 90s, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. Uh, 
Um, you know, I've seen some stuff where where the CFL lost $20 million collectively as teams last year. Uh, it's a whole different landscape from when I worked there, Rob. Mm. A television contract, my understanding, between 5 and $6 million that goes towards the teams. My last year, my finest year at the Stampeders, okay, maybe not, um, <laughs> the salary cap was $2.3 million. And the owner would only spend 1.8 million in the salary cap. I don't know what the salary cap is now. I I would assume it is what the TV contract is. But I am fascinated over the last couple of years to see how the CFL hasn't had any hiccups. They've expanded their rosters. Players are being paid certainly what they weren't being paid when I was there. Yeah. Uh, front office staffs are a lot larger, uh, it, so it it doesn't surprise me. But talking to George today, it, it, it was this is not this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. This is not just the CFL in trouble for 2020. This is the CFL in trouble forever, possibly, because I happen to work for a radio station that's the radio rights holders. Uh, my understanding, don't quote me, if if there's not a season, the Stamps won't be getting that revenue from our radio station. What will TSN be doing with their money? Yeah. Well, I can't see them paying that money out to the teams if there's no broadcast. Season ticket money has to be refunded. Uh, sponsorship. Not, not collecting that revenue. Yes, the stamps have a stamp store. How much merchandise will they be selling? So, this is a, this is very scary. What's going to happen in the next couple of months? If you're a sports fan, if you're a CFL fan, if you're a Stampeder fan, it's unknown. Yeah. I do. All the players become free agents. Uh, you know, that's with the collective bargaining agreement with the CFL players. You know, I, I had a stint with the Players Association. And if, you know, if there's stoppage, does everybody become a free agent? Uh, do they keep coaches on? I, well, it's I, chaotic. I it's chaotic, right? It's, it's chaotic, Rob. Yeah. It's, it's chaotic. I do want to kind of explore something that you alluded to, though, Ron, and that is, and, and through your eyes, uh, for those of us who have been lifelong CFL fans, it, it and I think you and I have had this conversation before. I, I used to describe it as, you, you know, there was a lot of us in the media that were really big fans of the league, so we never really wanted to criticize it. But it was life and death, and it was hand to mouth, and, uh, you know, we can even get into the U.S. expansion component of it. But those late 80s, early 90s, uh, even in the late 90s, it just it was on life support all the time. Yes. What, what what flipped? What eventually happened in your eyes, Ron, that, you know, up until this point, at least, seemed to solidify the league? The TV contract. It's that simple, eh? Yep. TV contract. Yep. Uh, you know, and for all you Ryder fans out there, they're not selling out. Mosaic is, they, they may sell out Labor Day. These, these stadiums are not selling out. Yeah. Everybody's believes it's still a a ticket-driven league. 
the the good thing about the television contract, definitely the revenue. The bad thing about the television contract, no more blackouts. Yeah. So you can watch on our friend Sam Jablonka at Shanks. At one time, that was the novelty. They had big screen TVs. Yeah. Now people have big screen TVs in their basements. And you can watch on CFL football, HDTV. Football is a great game on television. McMahon Stadium is archaic. McMahon Stadium, built in 1960, expanded for the 1988 Olympics in 1986, but the concourse never expanded. The washrooms never expanded. It's not a comfortable venue to sit in. A family of four, when I was working there, we had a Safeway package for $9.99, family of four for $40, but you're still spending above that. So, Alberta hasn't had a great economy lately. People are staying at home watching it on TV. Weather-wise, there's so many factors. I still wish the CFL would go back to what the what the NFL used to do, Rob, with that 48-hour rule. If if the stadium wasn't sold out prior to 48 hours, if the game was blacked out. Yeah. And you know, people used to come. People used to call our office. You know, you need to be on TV to market. We're on TV for nine road games. What difference is nine home games from a marketing standpoint? But, you know, I I know how devastating it was for people in 19, oh, I think, I think 1994. Larry Rickman, the owner at the time, we spent a lot of time in San Antonio. We met with the mayor. We met with the Alamo Dome. Uh, Larry was ready to move the team, and he put out – he, he put out a threat to Calgary. If we don't hit 20,000 season tickets by December 31st, I'm going to San Antonio. It was heartbreaking, the phone calls you would get from people saying, you know, my grandfather, my father, all they live for is the Stampeders. You can't move it. But if that restaurant on Crow Trial Trail is not doing business, it closes down. But when it's a heritage, you know, and I've I talked about this for so all my life. Hmm. Born out of World War II, 1995 is when the Stampeders started. And is it going to end with 1945. 1945. 1945, yeah. 1945, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 1945. So, did I say 48? No, you said 95, which is a completely different conversation about an expansion team, but that's okay. Rob, I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) I got your back, buddy. Thanks. Well, no, finish the story. Oh, I finished the story. You didn't finish the story. You said, okay, but, but you were talking about the history, right? Like, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, just, just, you know, if you talked about being a fan, being in the media, yep. you guys really didn't cr- cr- criticize or that's not true. I got criticized a lot when I was president. That's true, Ron. But I'd like to think that the good times were rolling then. <laughs> right? Right? Oh, oh, rest in peace, Joe Sports. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. Case, thank you. Yeah, okay. Sorry. The defense rest, Your Honor. Yeah. Um, when did you – so when did you get involved? Because you mentioned the the building of McMahon, right? Yeah, yeah. And the crazy part about that is 100 days. Like, yep. that's, it's insane, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Rob, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but my dad took home movies of the building of McMahon. He would go up and film it every day. Yeah. And, you know, my association with the stamps, well, I, my dad took me to an early practice. I met Eagle Day, mm-hmm. the quarterback. He was my favorite. Uh, my dad actually worked for Revenue Canada at the time, and he ended up doing the taxes for the Stampeders because of all of the American players. They, they needed help. So uh, he started to become involved with the Stampeders. Mind you, after the war, when he came back from England, he snuck into Mawada and they said, you know what, you can't jump the fence. He said, I have no money. So they hired him as an usher. And he did end up taking over the ushers. And as a as a young boy, I actually worked at the first Grey Cup in 1975 okay. when I was in high school as an usher for the, the Grey Cup. So I, so I originally went from sitting in the quarterback section to becoming an, an usher to working for the team. And, uh, you know, sports has always been involved in, in my life. And and uh, we only had a red and white car because of the Stampeders. <laughs> and uh, when I was growing up, there was no there, there was nothing called sports marketing that you could take in school. And I ended up I got a sales job with the Cannons mm-hmm. and had a great time with the Cannons from 1987 to uh, 1991. And then I joined the Stampeders in 1991 when we went to the Grey Cup in Winnipeg, losing to the Rocket and Matt Dunnigan. Never did like that guy. And, uh, <laughs> and what? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. You're giving away the ending. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so yeah, you, you know, long time, long time stamp fan, employee. Still a fan. Well, and that and that's really Ron to be very serious. That's what the reason for this podcast is because I want to you know through this explore the stories of sport in Calgary and the people that were there. And um, there's there's an ulterior motive too. And I'll cut to the chase because you've mentioned him. I want to talk a little bit about your dad because I think your dad is a really um, important character, part of the makeup of the sports history of this city. Um, I believe has been honored by the Booster Club, uh, among others, uh, as Sportsman of the Year, if I remember correctly. Um, and Cle- yes, yes, he was, sport- he was Sportsman of the Year, uh, the Olympic year. Oh, and, and uh, okay. And and the the deal the the Booster Club had at that time because of the Olympics was that ABC Sports would have to send. Uh, a, a guest to speak. And that year was Frank Gifford, which was, was very re- memorable. And, and the MC that night was Russ peak. God rest his soul. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I'm glad I'm not on video right now. Well, it was not my intention to do that. My friend, it is my intention to celebrate him because uh, he yeah. came, he's come up, yeah. he's come yeah. up before yeah. on this podcast, actually. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he was involved with, uh, you know, minor sports growing up. And, and uh, him and uh, a police officer named Bruce Dubbin actually were the first to start uh, Calgary minor flag football. Right. In Calgary, in our community, in Glamorgan. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, 
my quarterback was Brent Peterson <laughs> and, uh, uh, his, his little brother, Greg Peterson quit because he didn't like football. <laughs> so, you know, we, we how did that we, last? We, yeah. Yeah. Well, it lasted for a couple of years, I guess, but, uh, yeah, you know, my, my, my dad was always involved in, in, in minor sports and that was, yeah. that was a big, big love that he had. And, you know, he certainly passed it down onto me and, and, uh, it's it's just something that you know, a lot of a lot of fond memories, and you know he he went on and and he became equipment manager for the Calgary Colts when they won their back to back national championships and and uh, you know you you talk about payback so you know my dad took me to see the building of McMahon Stadium yep. to meet Eagle Day to become an usher, and then when I was working for the Stampeders, uh, he had retired and you know he volunteered. Uh, 1992 training camp and him and Wally really hit it off. He actually became a bit of a father figure for Wally. And uh, and Wally hired him. So that was, you know, so, and and it was funny. It was, uh, uh, I I remember when the Stampeders fired me and they kept my dad on and he asked me if uh, he should quit. And I said, no. You know, you're you're 90 years old. You're working around these young people. This is what's keeping you alive. So, yeah. So he continued to work. He was um, <clears throat> he was incredible. I won't. I don't wish to profess that I knew him more than I did. Um, I certainly am very aware of him, and I know what his place in this city and the importance he has. But I do want to share the fact that I I just thought it was awesome that you know. Uh, we were working at the radio station. We would do a football Friday segment and we would get a guest and the Stampeders would have your father drive him over. Like he was still, he was picking up players at the airport. He was there. He was just part of that team. Um, and, and it just, it, it just seemed so right. It just seemed so comfortable and the players loved him, right? Oh, they did. They did. One of his best, uh, one of his best rides back taking a player back to the airport was uh, Dwayne Johnson. So, Oh, really? <laughs> Tell that story. Well, he just, like everybody, he fell, I don't know if it's the right word, he fell in love with my dad, you know, and uh, I just remember my dad telling me, you know, this, you know, I, 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 I took, took Dwayne to, to the airport and, you know, he gave me a big hug that lifted me off my feet and, probably hugged me for about five minutes and told me, Hey Doug, you know, watch for me. I'm going to become famous. I'm going to wrestle and just remember my name and I'll give you this little hint. It's not going to be the Rook, but it's going to be the rock. (laughs) I think you made that last part up, but I love it. (laughs) I think it's awesome. That that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You know, to be able to, and you know, and, and I'm not that guy, but what I love about you and your family is you guys are Calgary. Like you were born here. You were raised here. You've yep. seen it, right? Yeah. You know, yep. and that was certainly the legacy of your father. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was so excited. What you had a big part of, Rob, uh, was bringing back the Centennial uniforms. Yes. And the Wrangler, oh, yeah, the Corral Series. And, yeah. and the Wrangler uniforms, because uh, that's all the hockey we had, hmm. you know, and the Centennials and – you know, Gare, Holland, and Rogers, and and uh, Jimmy Watson on defense, and John Davidson. Well, Eddie Dick, then John Davidson, as as a goalie. I mean, that was 
that was a great time in Calgary, what the Centennials did for the the city. And then before I became an NHL office official, I had to do one year with the Wranglers. So it was interesting to see the Wrangler uniforms as well and bumping into Doug Sauter. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing about sports. Uh, there's no generation gap. You know, I, I, I had a hard time getting on Skype here, but <laughs> but here you, you are. Know, but here I am. But yeah. I have I have no problem going to a sporting event with a person any age, right. and that's that's where you know that common bond with with being a, a sports person happens. I'll come back to the football in a bit, um, but just back to that idea of born and raised in Calgary and. You know, I've had Eric DeHatchuk on, and he arrived in 78. You know, I talked to Al Mackey. He got here, I believe, 77. You know, Al Coates has been on, and he was the first employee for the Calgary Flames. But can you give me a sense, Ron, of what you remember of the, the mid to late 70s and what sport was like in this city? Like you mentioned, you know, obviously the Stampeders were a going concern. Um, we would have seen just, a, what, two years of the Cowboys in the WHA, but how would you describe the sports scene in the city then? It was alive, and I mean, it was, uh, you know, I I joke with people because there's a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf fans out there, mm-hmm. and they talk what is coming up to 50 years or whatever, or maybe more when they la- last won the Stanley Cup. I yep. go, do you realize when the Leafs, Last one, the Stanley Cup, there was more CFL teams than there were NHL teams. Oh. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Stampeders were it. Right. The Stampeders were the sporting landscape of Calgary. 1968, they went to back to the Grey Cup for the first time since 1949. They lost. 1970, they had the big West final game in Saskatchewan when Larry Robinson kicked that amazing field goal into that blistering blizzard. They lost, but 1971, they won the Grey Cup, and this city was on fire. I remember not going to school that morning, going to a parade that ended up in the Stampede Corral, and uh, those were those were local legends. And I, and, and I know, you know, we talk about – the frontline workers, those are the heroes. Yeah. But at at that time in sports, those people were hopefully still our role models, but yeah. they were they were really involved in the community. And uh Frank Andruski. Mm-hmm. Frank Andruski played for the Stamps and uh uh there was a small boy named Greg Peterson <laughs> went and knocked on his door in Lake Bon Vista and said, Hey, can we start a football team? Greg was in grade seven and Frank said, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's do it. And Frank started the Cowley and Keith Colts and Jim Furlong, Jim Cilia, Herb Shum. He got Stan Peters to coach us. And we were an expansion team in Bantam football. And they told us, you know what? It takes time. You're not going to win many games. Well, I think it was the eighth game of the season and we were playing the Hilltoppers and the score was 25 to 1. And the Hilltoppers celebrated when they scored that one point because it was the first time in eight games we had been scored on. <laughs> and, I love it. And, you know, and it was because these Stampeder players, they, 
they they gave to the community. Yeah. The community was so important. You know, and you look at what the Flames alumni do, do today. Yeah. And the Stampeder alumni, it's the legacy. It's it's how they still really believe in the community. So back in the 70s, there was no internet. We had three stations on television. Mm-hmm. It obviously was a different world. And so, the, you know, the sports teams were, were very, very memorable, very high in the community. I've, I've never asked anybody this, and I, I'm... Well, maybe, don't ask me. Well, I'm going to ask you, and it might be okay. a little unfair, and if you need to punt, go ahead. Um, okay. What was it like with Edmonton getting in the NHL and Calgary not being there? I mean, then it was a brief what? I, I guess it would have been. Who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> yeah. What, 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 what are you talking about? Yeah. What was No, it? I mean, cer- certainly it was tough. I mean, you was know, it? They, Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 And I remember going up to, uh, uh, I think, yeah, I, I can't remember the year. I'm sorry, Rob, but I think the Flames had started playing in the crowd and, uh, bunch of us went up to see the Canada cup in the Northlands Coliseum. Okay. And it was like, yeah. So, so it was not only the sports teams, but it was the facilities that Edmonton had over Calgary. Right. Because the Commonwealth Commonwealth stadium, Stadium, right. Yeah. Compared to McMahon. Yeah. Was, I remember going up to a stem Edmonton game is like, Oh my God, this is like the Taj Mahal. This is like the most amazing place. And then going to Northlands Coliseum, after going to the crowd. So not only did it seem Edmonton had better sports teams, but they had better facilities. Right. And, you know, I, you know, I've told this story. I've told this story to you in 1992, after we, we, we won the great cup, we had people cancel their season tickets because we lost labor day. Yeah. It was like, no, we won the great cup, but no, you lost labor day. I can't take it. So, so it was, you know, the Calgary Cowboys were here for a few years and that's why, you know, the centennials were such a, a big part mm-hmm. of 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 the landscape of of Calgary. I mean, I, the only thing I really remember the, about the Cowboys was the Co- Quebec series when Rick Giazio got in a fight with Mark Tardif, and there was rumors that the Nordiques weren't, you know, they were turning the plane around when they hit Winnipeg, and you know, <laughs> and that's you know, it was kind of then when sure you know the, the WHA kind of made its name in in Calgary, but. But I think overall, like, I, for some reason, I, I'm probably wrong. Were they called the Alberta Oilers for a they while? They were called originally, I believe, when they came into the WHA, they were called the Alberta Oilers, yeah. Okay. And then they changed when Calgary got the Calgary Cowboys. I believe it's, uh, right. I, I don't okay. want to be quoted on okay. that, but I believe that's, that is the timeline, yes. Okay. Okay. But no, it's, you know, the sports has always been a big fabric of the city, and it was such a moral victory getting the 88 Olympics, mm-hmm. which really put us, other than the Calgary Stampede, it really put Calgary on the map. So what do you remember about the NHL coming to Calgary? We just talked about, you know, the kind of the Stampeders were the heroes in the city and, you know, the Centennials were around. There was, you know, junior hockey and a little bit of professional hockey and a few other things. Uh, but what what do you remember about the the reaction in the city when Atlanta was going to move here? Well, I was actually, I was going to, a, I was living in a very small town in California called Porterville. 
Mm-hmm. I went there to play baseball. Okay. It was a small junior college. A friend of mine had gone to play football there, and he had talked me into going to play baseball there. And him and I were watching the 11 o'clock news, and sports came on, and they said the Atlanta Flames. So this was probably May, May of 1980. Yep. And they basically said the Atlanta Flames are moving to Calgary. It was like we couldn't believe it. We both phoned our both phoned our dads right away and said, you know, actually we went to the phone booth down the street and phoned our dads and said, hey, like, really? We got to get season tickets. And uh, I remember my dad and I lining up outside the corral and getting in and we got the exact seats that we wanted. We were about row 10 right behind the net where the flames shoot twice in the, in the corral. And, and it, it, it was just a, it was such a magical moment. It was like the national hockey league is coming to Calgary. Wow. It was, I, I grew up being a Chicago Blackhawk and Boston Bruin fan. Sure. Um, because uh, my dad hated Toronto. As he should. My dad did not like the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Because what their star player did not go overseas, and he kept playing. And uh, my dad was actually stationed with Milt Schmidt. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. My dad, uh, my 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 dad was a very good friend of Milt Schmidt, so that's kind of, you know, the trout line. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's why I became, you know, I I I really like Bobby Hall. Yeah, but. My my dad wanted me to lean more towards Boston, and, and then when you know Bobby Orr showed up, but uh, yeah, so you know, just it was just so hard to believe that the NHL was coming to Calgary, and who who in the world who would believe that they would sell standing room season tickets? Oh, I know, I know, standing room I season know. tickets. You had two lines painted, and you stood on number eleven. Like, and they did, and and they did, right? And they yeah. did, yeah. Like they did, yeah. I I still have my original season tickets, twenty dollars a game, which was the highest eight. price in the league at the time, was it not? Yes. Yeah. 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 It was eight eight hundred dollars for season tickets. I had no idea how I paid for them, but I paid for them, and uh, yeah, it just well, it, it's it certainly changed the landscape. In, in Calgary, and you know the Stampeders went through a horrific time in the eighties, yeah. and uh, you know the Cannons came in the eighties, yeah. and uh, did a really good job at marketing. And you know, so th- there was there's some really tough years that the Stampeders went through for sure. Um, a couple things that have come out of your last couple of answers that I want to just go back and revisit. One, I will thank you, sir, publicly for that story about the Grey Cup victory, but the cancellation of, of season tickets because of the loss to Edmonton on Labor Day. I yeah. have used that story over and over, and I continue to use it to this day, especially with the young staff that I work with, just yeah. to try and give them an appreciation for yeah. what the Battle of Alberta was really about. And I know that's jumping ahead because we were kind of talking about Calgary coming to, you're talking about something in the 90s, but... As yeah. as great as '86 was, as great as you know the Stanley Cup in '89 and all of the subsequent Battle of Alberta's, I don't think there's a better story that you know represents truly what the Battle of Alberta means to people. 
than that one. And I regurgitate yeah. it all the time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. We even took a, we, we did a marketing campaign trying to sell season tickets. And uh, I took full page ads in both papers, the Sun and, and the Herald. And it was Labor Day, $99, eight other games free. <laughs> Because what was the draw? What what is the magical, mystical thing that that Labor Day is? But you know what? To this day, I just you know things happen that you you just really don't know that's going to happen on Labor Day. Right. Labor Day is a very special day to me. Yeah, in so many ways, the black uniforms. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Um, it, stuff happens. I don't know what. And not to take anything away from the other side of it because I grew up seeing the other side of it, but it was the Monday game. That's Labor Day, right? Yes. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's nice to have Absolutely. that Friday, now Saturday game, but the, the yeah. Monday game was the game. Let's not kid yeah. ourselves, right? Yeah. 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 But no, Labor Day has been, you have no idea how good Labor Day has been to me. Oh, no, I do. I do. Yes, I do. Um, the other thing that you mentioned in one of your answers is very romantic for me, and that seems like an odd thing to say. But I miss the days of not knowing something was coming. I miss the days of turning on the television and being shocked. I miss the days of having to scramble to find a way to communicate with those you love. I will. I mean, here we are doing this conversation on Skype, and we'll share it, and it's yeah. a podcast and all that sort of thing. But when you yeah. talked about learning on television that the flames were coming, and like you and I have had these big philosophical questions about the sports media and stuff, but there's something to be said about because nowadays that story would have been rumored. I mean, just look no. at Winnipeg, right? Like, look at the yeah. whole Atlanta moving to Winnipeg. So that was a two-month yeah. journey, right? There's no fun in that. Yeah, yeah. Right? I just, I just thought of something. Yeah. You know what? When the Flames won the Cup in 89, they, they, they did not go through Edmonton. No, 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 they did not. They did not. No, no, they, no, no. They went, they went Vancouver, L.A., Chicago. No, but the point the point I was making about yeah, 89 know, but... and the significance of the Battle of Alberta was, I think it's a completely different conversation had the Flames been skunked, right? Yes, yes. You know, they yes. needed to win to kind of punctuate the importance of that, regardless of whether, you're right, they didn't play Edmonton there. But it was that 80s period that, that you know, really kind of heightened that rivalry. Right. Right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's... Uh... I mean, it's, you know, I used to hear I used to hear the stories of Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. when Woody Hayes said, you know, if he ran out, of, he would never get gas in Michigan. He would push his car <laughs> to, to get into Ohio. But uh, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's you know, but um, I don't think, and it's a shame the Flames couldn't finish the season this year. Because a, a, a Matthew to Chuck, uh, that was the one. Edmonton Oilers playoff would be unbelievable. That's the first time that I've been really, 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 really wrong in a long time. Because I thought when when that happened this year, prior to that game, I said, "Nah, nothing's going to happen." Like, it's done. I've seen this movie too many times. You and I have been tempted too many times. Oh, the Battle of Alberta is back. Ooh, watch yeah. out. And then it's a it's a no-hitter. It's a sleeper. And then yeah. that was the kind of the first time it's like, oh, no, no, no. They they This is how it used to be. That was kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can, can, can I tell you a story about Keith 
Keith Tuchuk? Yes, of course you can. Well, as you know, I used to be an off-ice official. Right. Only time. We're getting to that, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, well, well, do you want to wait then? No, 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 I want you to tell the story, yeah. Okay, so Keith is playing for Winnipeg, and uh, this was my, this was, uh, this was my early, like, I think it was my first or second year it in the saddle dome mm-hmm. and I, I, I just opened the penalty gate. Right. Just, so they're just, that's all you did. Yeah. Just. Yeah. 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 So I had the visitors and when the visitors would come in and it was NHL rule at the time that you would have to tell the player that there was a minute left in his penalty. And then you would tell him there was 30 seconds left in his penalty. And then you would tell him 10 seconds. And that's when they instructed us to go over to the gate and have the our handle on the door to open it. Yep. Our hand on the handle and uh, count down the last ten seconds. Then open the gate and the player goes right. Yep. So I remember telling Keith, "You got one minute left," and he looked at me like, "Huh?" And then I told him, "You got ten. You got thirty seconds left." And he looked at me, and he goes, "Kid." I can see the clock. I'm not stupid. <laughs> All is good. Okay? So, I decided when I went to open the gate that I wouldn't count down. 10, 9, 8, and open the gate. Sure. I went to the gate. I opened it. He sat there. The flame scored like three seconds, <laughs> four seconds after, after the power play. About five minutes later, Keith got a penalty. He came in and he said, Please tell me how much time is left on my penalty. <laughs> Daydreaming, was he? I don't know. I, he was he was a tachuk being a tachuk. <laughs> Ron Rook is our guest here on the podcast. By the way, Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. I do want to get into some storytelling, and I do want to talk a little bit about the, uh, well, basically the big club, but let's get there by talking about the other two teams you were involved with. And you've kind of mentioned it. Um, you were an off-ice official for the Flames. Um, yep. we, we were kind of conversing here recently. They've been replaying games, and, and yes. it's been, has it been fun? Have you enjoyed watching the, those games that you were working or, in, in some cases, having to watch? Well, yeah. You know, of course, I've been I've I've been watching the the '89 Cup series. Sure. Which, gosh, that was a good team. That, can you can can you imagine like Herdina, Flurry, and Roberts as your third line? I forgot Herdina was there, and then and then you watch the series, you go, oh yeah, right. Like their scratch their scratches were really good. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, it was when they when they he didn't start the series. He he played the last that's, three games. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, you know, like like oh, those lines, you know, with I did not and he, you know what you know as well as I do, Rob yeah. Colin Patterson, one of the nicest human beings in entire know, absolutely, it, and a former guest it, of this podcast. Wow, but he was good. Yeah. Oh yeah, really he good. He was good with with Mo, with Mullen and Gilmore. Yeah. You know, and, and then you had Noondike Lube, and then they end up they had Roberts, but then they moved McClellan up, yeah. and I mean, uh, you know, poor bear, poor Perry Bears then being traded for Brian McClellan, but well, he, McClellan forced his, was, he forced his way out. Did he? Yes. He asked for the trade. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, well, screw you, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
And even even when they had Otto, Otto, Mark Hunter, and Tim Hunter. Yeah. Can you imagine playing against that line? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so so no, it's it's been enjoyable watching those games because we, we had to watch those in the press box. At that time, there was uh, neutral off-ice officials because there was no video goal judge. Right. Uh, so it was the two goal judges, penalty timekeeper, timekeeper, and the scorekeeper were the off-ice neutral guys. So we worked all the Oiler games and uh, did 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 a lot of games in Winnipeg. Yep. And it's funny, I was watching the, the, the Canuck Jet game last night. I just caught like the last three minutes. And I thought, hey, I wonder if we were working that game. So I was, tr- I was trying to see shots of the, of the goal watch. judges. Yeah. Of, of the goal judges. Oh, okay. So, so then there was like six seconds. Uh, Winnipeg was up 4-3. And they iced the puck. And supposedly there were seven seconds, but it ran off to three sec- seconds. So Pack. Quinn kind of went crazy and Kerry Fraser came over and, and there's a shot and all of a sudden, Oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so I froze the TV, took a picture. And oh, that's fantastic. People thought I Photoshopped it. So how, hold on. How did that work, Ron? If so you in the playoffs, you guys were Calgary's crew would have been used in Edmonton or Winnipeg or other places as neutral sites. Yes. yes. But you had a full-time job. So was this like yes. jury duty? How did that work? Um, luckily, uh, when I first started, Russ Parker was my boss. Okay. At the Cannons. Yeah. And Calgary Carpier was a big sponsor of the Flames. And he was a big, you know, it was like, and it was more or less, we were, we were pretty lucky because the majority of our games, because the Oilers were so good, mm-hmm. the majority of the games we worked was Edmonton. Yeah. So... So we could go in the morning, come back after the game, and or you know leave in the afternoon. Oh, I gotcha, gotcha. Drive up day of and come back. Yeah, we didn't miss a lot of work, but Winnipeg, you know, if it was a Tuesday Thursday game, yeah, sure. I had to take holidays. Um, you know, so it was it was interesting. We worked Vancouver, L.A., uh, Edmonton, and Winnipeg were were the sites that I worked as a as a neutral hmm. office official. Hmm. Was that fun, or was that harder? It, it was fun. Yeah. Okay. It was fun. It was, it, it like most of my jobs, it was a hobby that I got paid for. Sure. You know, people were paying X amount of dollars to buy a seat. Seat. I'm sitting in the penalty box, hearing some really good conversations, and getting paid to do that. So. Oh, I bet you there's a book yeah. in there. Holy cow! The things you oh, yeah. heard. Like you yeah. would. You. It's funny, eh? No internet. No, you know, no oh. social media or anything like oh. that. You you probably knew all the rivalries. You probably knew all the dirty secrets. Oh, absolutely. And uh, if I may tell a story. Please. One of, my, one of my favorite of all time stories. This is back when the penalty box was like the player's bench. Yep. There was no glass. Yeah. The, yeah. Gla- the glass was just in front of where the three of us sat. And, and that was league-wide. And unfortunately, Bert Peguerero, one of the timekeepers, uh, got hit in the eye. It was a Washington Capitol killing a penalty, took a slap shot, and Ooh. it came in and Bearcat, like, he ended up, he lost his eye. And then that's when the NHL put the glass up in front of the penalty box. I to, didn't know that. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah, that it, that happened because of the incident in Calgary. But uh, Battle of Alberta. Rise, bro. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this I one? I do. Please, please, please. Risebrow, Risebrow, 
as Marty McSorley's jersey. He is standing up. I can't remember. I think Terry Gregson might have been the referee. Not sure. But he is chirping at Gregson or whoever the referees. And all like I think Paul Baxter and Tim Hunter might be already in the in the penalty box. And McSorley, McClelland, and I think Don Jackson or the other. Oh, that's a murderer's row. Were the, were the Oiler guys in the penalty box. Oh, my gosh. And like McSorley's just like, where's my jersey? Where's my he's like where's my jersey? I you know everybody else brought the gloves in and the sure. sticks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this was a brouhaha, right? Yep. And meanwhile, Risebrow has McSorley's jersey on the the floor of the penalty box, squirting water on it and chopping it up with his skates. <laughs> so so this goes on until everything's kind of settled down and play resumes. And Risebrow tosses the jersey over to McSorley. <laughs> McSorley wanted to come over between oh. us, of course. And, uh, yeah, just absolutely mayhem. And then, of course, Sather invoiced yeah. Cliff, Cliff Fletcher for the But it it was one of the, the most amazing moments in sports that I've ever witnessed. Were you there with the streaker? Uh, yes. You okay? Because that's one of the more famous famous stories too. That did not end well for that young man. No. So at least you know it wasn't me. <laughs> yes, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Um, listen, I could go on all day asking you stories about that. I want to before I get to the stamps. Briefly though, tell me a little bit about your time with the Cannons. We had Darren Haynes on a couple of weeks ago, and yep. and yep. Darren, Darren up, and, yep. and he yep. he po- just waxed poetically. Um, and that, that really was back to the battle of Alberta. There really was a brief golden period of, of triple a baseball in this province. Oh, right. Oh, absolutely. It was good baseball. It's the only difference basically between triple a baseball and the major leagues is pitching. Yeah. That's why you see so many home runs. And certainly, you know, there was a, you know, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco came into town with the Tacoma Tigers when they were affiliated with the Oakland A's and, I mean, seriously, McGuire and Canseco hitting batting practice at Foothill Stadium. Unbelievable. I mean, I was lucky enough to meet Tino Martinez, sure. went on to the New York Yankees, you know, first baseman, one of the most class guys, Edgar Mar- Martinez, one of the, the greatest Seattle Mariner baseball players ever. Um, I miss Ken Griffey because he never swelled. But he I, was I'm supposed, sorry. that's what Darren I, said, he I'm, was supposed to I, come, I, wasn't he? I'm sorry, I, I missed A-Rod. Oh, A-Rod, I okay. I A-Rod. I had moved over to, to the stamps by then. Okay. But but wasn't Ken I, supposed? Wasn't Ken Griffey supposed to be coming? Wasn't there yeah, some yeah, promotional absolutely. materials built with him? He he went from single A to the majors. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's with the majors. So at that time, the Mariners would come and play a game. I know. How cool is that? Very cool. So who's on the roster but Ken Griffey? Eighteen-year-old senior Ken and Griffey. junior? No, just junior. Just junior. Okay. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. and of course the Calgary media want to talk to him. He's not talking. It's his day off. Oh man! One of his role models was Ricky Henderson. Oh okay. So, so of course uh, 
Gary Arthur and, and Russ Parker are just beside themselves. We have all the Calgary media out and Ken Griffey. And so they go in and, you know, they're on the phone in Seattle and they say, okay, get, get Griffey out. So they get Griffey out and uh, Griffey becomes, uh, I think, I can't think of the running back's name of, of the Seahawks and then the Raiders last year. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. Yes. Yes. So Ken Griffey becomes Marshawn Lynch and he won't talk. <laughs> oh. So, so all the media scrum him, and he won't talk. He won't talk. Unbelievable. But, uh, but you know, we almost won the Pacific Coast League Championship. We, we were up two games to nothing against Tucson, and they they called the starting pitcher up who was supposed to pitch for game three. Russ Parker was livid. Yeah. Mike Mike Campbell, uh, he was the ace of the staff, and we end up we, we lost three straight in in Tucson and never did win that championship for Russ, which which is very sad, but. One, one of my biggest highlights probably was Fernando Val, Valenzuela. Oh, okay. He got sent down or, or was in rehab or something with the Albuquerque Dukes. Right. And, uh, man, he, uh, we couldn't you – t- you talk about social distancing? The amount of people that filled Burns Stadium just to see him yeah. was incredible. And it was the last weekend in August and – it was just amazing, and he would warm up in the bullpen, and I, I think he might have pitched maybe two innings, but it was like, there's a legend. That- I was just going to say, you know, I, I unrelated to the Cannons, but I, we were on a family holiday in Los Angeles when he was coming in and was the sensation, and I just remember it was like Gretzky and Fernando Valenzuela, and, yeah. and, and then it was yeah. Jordan. He was in that category for a brief period, yes. right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Wow. So, no, lots, lots of memories with the Cannons. There was, there was no better picnic on a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock, watch the baseball game, yep. have have some beers. It was great. It was lots of memories with the, with the Cannons. And then there are the Stampeders and I know we've skirted around, we've touched on it, but um, uh, to me, I, I've always felt that you were, uh, if you'll take a compliment, um, you were the ultimate, media relations person I, I would put Peter Hanlon right there with you as well with the Calgary Flames um, but I always thought you ran the best show go, particularly at that level and with that league um, but man you saw a lot and endured a lot there thanks for the compliment that's nice Rob but uh, yeah it was gosh it was during the 1991 the week they went to the Grey Cup uh, you know the the Rickman era Doug Flutie, Jeff Garcia, yeah. Dave Dave Dickinson, talk about amazing, amazing quarterbacks. I will go on record, not to slight Jeff, not to slight Doug, but Dave Dickinson was my favorite human quarterback. <laughs> okay. That played for the Stamps. Yeah. You, you know, you you talk about Colin Patterson, Dave yeah. Dickinson's in that same boat. Oh, you know, absolutely. Him and Craig, you know, Montana boys and yeah. just – you know, just salt of the earth. Those guys deserve so yeah. much. Deserve so much better. I always, yes. I, I, I came yes. away with a bad taste in my mouth about his NFL experience. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he did. He really did. You know, and and very frustrating because uh, when he finally, I think the Detroit Lions might have been his last NFL. I believe it was. Yeah, like, like after the Chargers. I mean. I have a picture 
of the Chargers quarterbacks that I took when I was in San Diego, Doug Flutie, Drew Brees, Dave Dickinson. Jeez. <laughs> unreal. Hey, I'm totally unreal. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and probably all three still should be playing, but um, only one is. But uh, it was interesting. So I tried to convince Michael Federick to sign Dave Dickinson. Okay. Because we all know about Kevin Federick. Do we? And I said, I said, you know what? If you want to keep Kevin on the roster, Dave has become a free agent. He he will teach your son. And no slight to Dave. Dave will get hurt. And uh, and uh, BC outbid us because we weren't even close to the table. So right. that that could have changed the Stampeders in two thousand and four. But so I I don't. I don't want to bog down on this, nor do I want to end with this. So I'm going to slide this in right now. And that's just your, you know, your opinion or, or your feelings about that particular era with Fred Fateri and, and everything that was going on. How do you, re- how do you remember that? How do you review that? There's a lot of really good memories, Rob. Okay. Um, Michael Federick did a lot of good things. From a financial standpoint, that's the strongest in my career that the Stampeders were. Mm-hmm. And I, this may sound silly, but small things. It's the first time employees had their checks directly deposited into their bank accounts. Okay. And trust me, with the other two owners, sometimes we had to race to to the bank yep. to make sure the check didn't bounce. Yep. That's real. That's no, no, real. That's reality. That you're not being you're not trying to be funny here. People knew that. Yeah. Uh Michael Federick paid out of his own pocket to uh, to secure more blue seating with the backs at, at McMahon opposed to just the red seats. Mm-hmm. He brought in the first jumbotron. He did he did some really good things. Yep. The problem was Sports is not a, sports may be a family business from a front office. Yeah. Sports is not a family business when the owner wants his son to play. Right. And when the owner wants his son to play quarterback. Yeah. Or can you imagine the Flames owner wanting his son to be goalie? It just Yeah. Maybe if Kevin was a offensive tackle, maybe. But, you know, it was the worst case scenario. And I had decided in 2003, uh, I was leaving the Stamps. I was going to Vancouver with Wally. Right. Was after Wally's first year, he, said, he called me and said, Ron, I need you here. Yep. And uh, I was making that decision to leave. And then there was the whole shit show with Mark McLaughlin. Yep. And then they offered me the job and I just, I thought the challenges that I had faced previously with the Stampeders and if people knew what they were, Mm -hmm. there's hope here. There's hope. But I knew once I accepted that position, I was on the clock, uh, did what I could, did the best job that I could. And, uh, the Stampeders are better off for getting Federick out of there, getting the ownership with Mr. Helliard, then leading to the Flames. So the Stampeder organization is in a much better place than they've ever been. Right. 
but but you got sacrificed. I'll say it. You got sacrificed. So, okay. Sports. It's sports. It's sports. Okay. No, no. Yeah. And I don't want to bog down on it. Asked you about it. But what I really like to do now is is talk about some more positives. And, and Sounds you, good. And you mentioned one of them, Wally. Um, yeah. For, for a guy that I barely know, man, did he have a lasting impre- impression on me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I still, to this day, he has a line that he used, football is not a democracy. And I, I, that is one of the biggest things in life. That was a life lesson when I heard him talk about that. Tell me about working yeah. for Wally. Well, the the line I remember from Wally, mm. you wake up in the morning, you're dead, life goes on. Yeah. <laughs> Never figured that one out. <laughs> no, Wally, Wally and I, Wally and I went through a lot together. Um, we had, we battled ownership together, mm-hmm. which we needed to at a time. And I would love to tell you one story. I won't say who the owner was, but I'll tell you one story about, uh, you'll probably be able to figure out who the owner was at that time, but I'll get to that in a second. I will land the plane. But (laughs) Wally was just one of those people that you just truly respected. Uh, Absolutely. He was truthful. A lot of people don't like the truth, but he would tell you the truth if it was good or bad yeah and just such a stand-up guy and uh you know he's uh he is the best coach ever in cfl history and he is the type of guy though i used to introduce him once he made that mark as the stampeders winning his head coach when we would start our press conferences and he pulled me aside he said ron i'm also the losingest head coach <laughs> in stampeder history I said, well, I can lead with that for a few times. <laughs> but that was reality because he said, Ron, you stay lo- around long enough, you're going to have both records. Yeah. <laughs> Which he did. And, you know, you talk about him talking about that football is not a democracy. We would, I learned very early in his day before the game press conferences, if he had a platform, it most of the platform had nothing to do with the game or the two teams. And he would start off with, I don't know, the sky is green or whatever. Yep. I said, Wally, why? And he said, Ron, I have the captive media here. I have them at my beck and call right now. This is when I can push my message. If it's add another quarterback to the roster or this is the opportunity. He says, Ron, whenever you have that opportunity in your life, to have that platform, take advantage of it. So, yeah, I've learned a lot from him. And, uh, you know, respect the man tremendously. I I think, and it's funny, you brought him up earlier. Um, never before has, how long was Dwayne, jo- Dwayne Johnson here? How long was The Rock in Calgary? Like a month? Oh, gosh. Uh, training camp, he left. Probably the latest would be mid-August. Okay, so he was here. Yeah. He was here a couple of months. Yep, yep, yep. But, and the Rock speaks very highly of Wally. Well, no, and that's I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I that I, that social media post a couple of years ago yep. where yep. he c- called him uncle, didn't he? Yep. Like yep. that. That's what you need to know about a Wally Buono. Like he, yeah. he he was he yeah. it, and he still is 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 such a special guy. 
So um, here's a player. Here's a player that was on the practice roster. Yeah. He played in the preseason games. He never played a regular season game. Right. Uh, we were loaded that year with our defensive line, with the Canadians we had, like with Shreckles as a Colbert, Stu Laird, and then Will Johnson and yep. Rodney Hart. We had. There's no way Dwayne was going to crack that lineup. Yep. But on the practice roster, it speaks volumes of Wally, the impact he had on the rock. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it's so, you know, Wally, Wally did treat all the players the same. Yep. Yep. He, he was, he was not good to them as a general manager negotiating contracts. Mm Mm-hmm. But once he got them on the field, Dwayne Ford, you're the best fullback we have. You're the best in the league. And I was like, why didn't you pay me that? But no, like he knew how to play the game. Oh, for sure. For he sure. He knew how to play the game. For sure. So the one story I do want to tell, we it's 1999. Okay. Last game of the year, we're playing in Hamilton. We had clinched first place. We didn't know who we were going to play in the game, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we had defeated Hamilton in the Grey Cup in 1998. It looked like it was going to be a rematch in the Grey Cup. We're getting ready to board Air Canada. And the Air Canada attendant calls Wally up to the front. And all of a sudden, Wally's hands are kind of in the air a little bit. And he turns around and he calls Ron, get over here. He goes, uh, they're not going to let us on the flight. We haven't paid the bill. Oh. I go, what? Then paid the bill. He goes, yeah. He says, what should we do? I said, let's go home. I said, this game is meaningless to us. Let's just go home. I said, winning, winning covers everything. Winning hides everything. Nobody knew how financially tough oh, it was man. for the stamps, and that's why I say yeah. Bedrick was a good thing. Yeah, for the stamps from that standpoint. From that standpoint, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, tell so me. Wally said, oh, good. So Wally said, yeah, go on. Sorry, Rob. No, no. Finish the story, please. Yeah. So Wally says, let's talk about that. He goes, I can put it on my credit card. It was like $23,000. So I go, holy crap, Wally, you got quite the limit. That's awesome. <laughs> I said, I don't know if you should, but yeah, sure. So Wally puts it on his credit card. We fly to Hamilton. Wally would always, the night before the game, Wally would take all the coaches out for dinner, and I would be included with that group. We're out for dinner, and he gets a phone call from his wife, Sandy. <laughs> Sandy says, Wally, I'm at Self Center right now at the Bay at the makeup counter, and I can't get $8 worth of lipstick. What is wrong with our credit card? Oh, my gosh. And he said, oh, oh, I, I, I don't know what he told her. I He left. He <laughs> left. He came back and uh, he ordered more wine. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the only so that, I was going to say, the only story that can possibly top that. And I, I've been building for this because it, it is truly I, I keep saying there's all of these little things that you're connected to that I'm connected or through you. And and I still think one of the best Calgary sports stories is the one I'm going to ask you to tell. 
I think I know where you're going. Okay. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. What's What's the story? No, no, you tell me. You tell me. No, you tell you. I, you're right. I'm positive you're right. So go ahead and tell the story. Would it, would it be the 2001 Great Cup? It just might happen to be the 2001 Great Cup. Yes. Well, Rob, <laughs> we, uh, I'm lucky enough to have three Great Cup rings. Yep. We played in six games, probably should have had more. But at the end of the day, lucky to have three. 2001, we were not a good football team. We finished 8-10. and 10. We had to win the last game. We had to beat Winnipeg. Winnipeg was 15-3. and three. We had to beat Winnipeg to give them their third loss to get into the playoffs. And Edmonton was head and shoulders above everybody else. BC and ourselves were not that good. Unfortunately, we had a better record against BC. We were both 8-10. and 10. We hosted the West semifinal. We, we beat BC. We go into Edmonton. Edmonton's secondary is totally injured. George Cortez told me, he said, Ron, by the end of the first quarter, we're going to be up 21 nothing. We're up 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. We hang on and win like 22-20 or something over Edmonton. So now we're off to the Grey Cup in Montreal against the Bombers, heavily favored, 15-3 and against his 8-10 and team. And we have a slugfest with them. We have probably three good plays. Mark Bo-Richter, a huge play, scores in the first half. Aldi, Aldi Henry blocks a punt, returns it for a touchdown in the third quarter. And we're up. We were up like twenty four six or something. Mm-hmm. Now we're up. Now we're up twenty four nineteen. And we so I usually spend most most of the game up in the press box. But you know what? I said no. You know what? Fourth quarter. I'm gonna go down on the sidelines. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best. Fred Fateri before he even came to Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Not sure that's accurate, and, but go ahead. <laughs> and. Uh, it's 24-19. There's probably just over three minutes left in the game. We're hemmed in in our own zone. And Marvin Coleman had left the Stampeders and gone to Winnipeg. And we knew kind of what his weakness was. And they had isolated a play where Calvin Anderson would come out of the backfield and catch a pass. Well, Calvin catches the pass. It's about a 60-yard gain. And Calvin gets pushed out of bounds right in front of our bench. And Jerron Bolden, who went on and played for the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. was there. He'd been chirping all week. And I don't know what came over me. I stood up. I really stood up on my tiptoes. And I yelled in his ear hole, you're a loser. <laughs> he, he turned around and he hit me. <laughs> He knocked my glasses off. <laughs> Scott Reginald comes to my rescue and drills Jerron Bolden. There's a melee at the bench. And, I'm go- and there's flags fl- flying. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm fired. I'm done. I'm out. This is it. Where can I run? 25-yard unsportsmanlike conduct to Winnipeg. Where it they puts us in field goal position. Mark McLaughlin kicks the field goal, 27-19. They need to score a touchdown, two-point conversion to win. Game, set, match. (laughs) 
Ladies Greg and- Peterson named me the top Canadian player of the game. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the greatest story in the history of Calgary sports. I don't care what anybody says, my friend. That is amazing. <laughs> you have been nothing short of amazing and a pleasure to have on this very podcast, sir. Before I let you go, it is a tradition around here. I will give you no parameters, but I'm excited to hear your answer to this final question. We ask it to all of our guests. Uh, and again, no parameters. You interpret it and answer it the way you'd like. But Ron Rook, give me your hidden Calgary gem. Betty Lou's library. Hello. What? Look it up. Betty Lou's library. That's your hidden Calgary gem. Yep. Okay. I, I'm going to leave it there. Um, yep. People have access yep. to the internet, the web, as we like to call it. Uh, they can even do it off their phones nowadays, Ron, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, okay. I have I have had the chance to say this to you privately. I do want to say it publicly. I am your biggest fan, have always been your biggest fan. Even in a different market, I always thought you were just incredible at what you did. Um, again, I have so much appreciation for what your father, Doug, brought to the city, what he meant to the city. Uh, but I have that same appreciation of, of what you've done and what you mean uh, your your friendship is internal and and one that I really sh- uh, share and and right from the get go you were the type of person that I wanted on this podcast because these are the stories I want to tell so Ron from the bottom of my heart thank you for for coming on and joining us thank you Rob how about that um, loved it loved every minute of it uh, Ron is a dear friend uh, that the story at the end about the Grey Cup win over Winnipeg might be the single greatest sports story in Calgary history because it leads to a championship. That's that's what was so exciting about that. So uh, Ron is another guy that we scratched the surface of and clearly could have gone on for hours. Uh, afterwards, he texted me and he said, we should have talked about this, we should have talked about that. So who knows? Maybe we'll get Ron back uh, down, the, um, down the line. And again, this was all about telling stories and, and reminiscing. So, so much, so much fun for us. Uh, if you have just checking us out for the first time, subscribe at Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, who have you Who have you missed? Well, Peter Labardius, uh, Katrina LeMay-Doan, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Tom Higgins, Randy Chevrier, uh, Peter Marr, Tommy Wielden Jr., uh, Mary Moran. I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. Uh, we've had just a plethora of really good guests, and we look forward to adding to that roster here in the coming weeks. Thanks for joining us. Um, we will be back. We drop new podcasts on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays right here, the original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca. 